Left. Right. What is up, my friends? And thank you for joining me in this episode today. We're talking about gender. We're calling this episode the gender bomb because the conversation around gender is so explosive. So listen on. Let me know if you agree with me or my co-host, James, or if you disagree with us. I would love your opinion in the comments. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 means we are live. This is Sip Talk episode 213. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philosopher, philanthropist, medical doctor, bartender, retired professional referee, name a title, he has it, James. Medal of Honor recipient, Purple Heart. <laughs> How's it hanging down there in sunny South Carolina? Well, it's not sunny anymore, but I think that's going to, is daylight savings time this week? Oh, it could be soon. I noticed the sun was out a little, uh, a little later than normal. I got off the train today and uh, walked outside from that train terminal, and there was some uh, sun in the sky, just a little bit, but uh, there was some sun, so that was a nice feeling. But yeah, South Carolina is better than New York. My mom was in town last week, and she's like, it's 80 degrees here. It's 36 <laughs> at Albany. This is great. Yeah, it's, uh, it is different. So I just want to note that we are live on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, semi-live on Instagram. And uh, I just found out that we were blocked from, uh, or maybe it is Instagram we're blocked from. Yeah, so we're actually blocked from Instagram, but we're on TikTok. So we're on TikTok and everywhere else. Have we been permanently blocked from Instagram? I don't, I I can't really tell. I'm not. Do we know why? Because that's always the interesting part. Could be the title. Um, let's see. Oh, gender bomb, as in like, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, no, that, it it literally is because I just typed gender bomb as our uh, as our title, and gender bomb is apparently a discriminatory. Even though we're here to talk about gender, um, there's they want no discussion of it. So uh, mm-hmm. we we're just we don't fit in with. Uh, with Instagram. So unfortunately, uh, I'll try one more time, but we will not be on Instagram. But nonetheless, my advice to you is if you're listening to us, you're watching us now, go to YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel and go to your audio podcast platform of your choice and follow Sip Talk. This is episode 213. So there are 212 other episodes you probably aren't interested in that you will have at your disposal. To dispose of them as we have. So, James, you want to get into uh, you want to get into uh, the gender bomb here today? It's this idea was partially inspired by events of the last couple of weeks, but I I am back out in the dating world right now, and let me tell you something, it sucks. <laughs> hey, um, and I I feel like men and women, it like dating for men and women sucks equally, but in vastly different ways <laughs> uh i will i will i will agree with you there um da- dating can be fun but i think generally overall if your goal is a serious relationship then dating in general is just not something that you want to be doing as a means to find that relationship <laughs> well yeah and, and part of it's my location but i like using the, the the dating apps and it's just i feel like everything that i'm seeing is the same like it's all chicks that have like a dog <laughs> and it's like i'm a pup mom and he's the most important thing in my life I'm like i don't like dogs like, like <laughs> I don't you're, like you're, being around dogs you're you're 
you may be being too picky if that's your, your deal breaker. But No, I, I actually so, think that it's smart for me to be discriminatory on, on certain criteria early because it's just going to become a problem later. So my, my question to you is outside of your personal preference is why do you believe that dating is sucky for men and women, but in different ways? What are those ways? Well, for women, I feel like Dating is overall a riskier venture for them. Like the greatest threat to women is men. <laughs> and so like going out, going out to meet people that you have never met before. And like, that's risky to like ask any woman who's been on online dating and ask her, how many dick pics have you received? Oh really? Is that they? Those just come through online dating apps. Uh, I would imagine so. Like, I haven't been dating as a woman, so I don't know directly. But I, like, I, I will believe that. Yeah, that that women probably get more photos of that than men get photos of the corresponding corresponding women. But I, I think. But but no, I'll agree with you that it's more dangerous for women. They're more likely to get unsolicited dick pics what else and and also just general like abusive chats and overly aggressive chats that are that are disturbing women are going to get that more than men and okay. so for women they're going to get far more interest because men are much more liberal in their swiping patterns and so women tend to be extremely selective but if you look at a, a woman's phone who's dating, like using the Tinder or whatever, she's probably going to have dozens or hundreds of matches or potential matches. Well, and well we, we've talked about this before, the discrepancies between men and women and what percentage of men get messages and what percentage of women get messages, depending on where they land on the spectrum of looks. And looks is, is basically the one most largely determining factor. Um. You don't have to pull it up. I, I see you going to, right, right. No, no. Right I want, I want window, to share yeah. the graphic that I sent a long time ago. Um, the OK Cupid comparison of how men rate women's attractiveness and how women rate men's attractiveness, and the incredibly stark divide between those two. Can you can you uh, maybe text that to me so I can uh, so I can pull it up and I can share. Yeah, show... give me a sec. I'm just gonna send you. Uh, I'm going to send you a link in chat for you to pull up. All right. So I'll pull this up. I'll try to share it on TikTok. Anybody watching elsewhere should be able to see it as well. Uh, first and foremost. Because I'm going to use this to dive into why online dating is hell for men. I feel like this one chart sums up the experience better than, well, any other chart. There, there's more to it, but this one just like if you want to say where's the problem, I would point to this chart. Okay, uh, let me uh, let me just share it here. This is a good one. Let me switch my camera so anybody who's watching can also see. I don't know if you can do that the, in into the uh, just screen share it. Yeah, I'm trying to share the window. All right, here we go. Sorry for that delay. Yeah, and zoom in just a little bit. Or actually, that's fine. And so, if you look, how, like the top graph is how men rate women, and you can see it's almost a perfect bell curve, where there, like a normal distribution, like you would expect, because attractiveness among men and women should be relatively evenly distributed, where. Most people are about average, and then you're going to have some people that are very attractive and some people that are very unattractive. And so men seem to be rating things almost exactly the way you would expect on a normal distribution, where the farther you get away from the center, the less likely you are to rate somebody there. And, yep. and what, hap what happens as we, as we get how, to how women rate men? Oh, boy. So if you see the graph on women almost universally rate men as unattractive, which tells me two things. One, that 
women care less about looks than men do in a relationship. Because if these ratings are accurate, well, these women are still going out on dates with people that they rate unattractive. Because they're, they're uh, rating 2% uh, of the men in the second highest category and 0% in the highest category. There's not enough of those men in the 2% to date there's, all the women. There's nearly 60% of men are, are rated in the two least attractive uh, piles there. All right, I gotta, I gotta, and 81% of men are below ag- average in, in attractiveness. Which, which obviously doesn't make sense, but th- I think that's that's a indication of a skewed perception of sample size. Uh, yeah, and I think part of it is because on a dating app, women get so much attention because of the way men swipe that they might think that they're more attractive or more desirable than they are, which causes them to be more selective and rate everybody as less attractive. And so as a man, you're up against this. And it's really hard to get a girl's attention because she has so many options on online dating that something's really got to go right for you for her to even respond to your message. Even if you write a creative message, even if you're not offensive, you're being respectful, all that kind of stuff, you're still going to have problems, man. Um, so I just wanted, there's one note here that says, let's see, uh, TikTok, Daylene Bailey Flightum says, I tried a dating site and I think the biggest hurdle now is all the fake accounts and scammers. And I've heard from a few people about fake accounts and scammers. My question to you real quickly is, have you encountered any of that so far in the last week? Not recently. I have in the past. Um, I'm surprised that it's something that affects women because I thought that if you're going to, if, if I were going to put resources towards trying to scam people in online dating, I would be targeting men. I would be targeting men for the victims of my scam. Uh, yeah, they're easier targets. And so if, for if, a woman if, to ex- say that like there's fake accounts and scammers, I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just that's surprising to me. It's surprising to you. I'm not yeah. surprised, but I do agree with you. I think there would be more uh, scams facing men because men have difficult, more of a difficult time getting traction and fewer opportunities. So when somebody is interested in them and is good looking and messaging them, they're more likely to reply. So let's move on with this gender conversation. What should we hit next? Because you outlined a few things to me via text today. And I just, yeah, broke um, you, you want to go there? Or you want to hit one of the articles you shared first? I want to hit the gender pay gap first. Oh boy. The gender pay gap is, uh, is something you're not going to make friends with nope. on this one. Um, uh, but thankfully think, the data supports me though. Well, some of the data and, and we'll get there, but I think that the data is very clear that overall on average, men do get paid higher than women. Would you well, agree? there's, there's two numbers you need to look at. There's what's called the adjusted and the unadjusted pay gap. Now, the number that gets a lot of attention is like 78% or something like that, where women earn 78% of men. And sometimes you'll see it as like 73 or 81, but we're in the same range, right? Okay. And so when you hear that, you say, man, that sound, that's really bad. Why are women getting paid roughly 20 to 25% less than men? I think the answer is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to take a stab at it before you give me the supporting evidence, is that generally across horizontal lines, meaning job for job, they earn the same. But men occupy positions that are higher earning positions. Is that is that accurate? It's close. Like more men are doctors and neurosurgeons and engineers uh, and attorneys than women. Not saying that women can't do those jobs or aren't catching up, but I would just think of the higher paying jobs, more men occupy them. So, so that's part of it. Okay. Um, a bigger part of it is that women are more likely than men to take a job that requires less hours worked. So men are more likely to take jobs that have a lot of overtime. And so you can look at a job like being on an oil rig or working in an oil field, which pays really well, but you're also working a shitload of hours. Men are also more likely to take higher risk jobs. So again, like oil fields, but like higher risk jobs tend to pay better because they're compensating you for the physical risk that the job entails. Um, And 
women also are more likely to take more time off for like a child. That's, so if you, so maternity leave, like some, some jobs are better about giving paternity leave to fathers, but overall women are more likely to take time off from work because of children than men are. So when you sum all these factors up of like men more often than not are in higher level positions. And some of that's because of like paternalism and like society's fault. But some of it is because they work more hours they and they're less likely to take time off and all those other factors. And that gets you to the 78%. When you actually adjust for all of those things, you find that women are paid less than men, but it's not 78%. It's about 95 now that 5% is a problem and that doesn't seem fair to me. Like if you're doing the same job, you should be paid the same amount of money. However, if you're trying to rile people up towards a political cause, not many people are going to get super fired up over a 5% difference. So you have all these women's rights advocates like arguing about this 78% number and that 78% number just isn't real. And in certain professions, women are actually paid more than men. And I'm not talking about like strippers or stuff like that. I'm talking uh, um, like I had a professor talk about how like in pharmacy, for example, like women pharmacists tend to be paid better than men. Why? Because what they found is that like women pharmacists, for whatever reason, are good workers, that they do a good job. So there are certain industries where women are actually paid better than men. That doesn't so, get any attention. Where I thought we were going to go with this was professional sports. Because as you know, women are paid less than men in professional sports. And that's unfair. And obviously because the establishment is built against them. Wouldn't you agree, James? Sure. <laughs> so basically what I'm talking about are the professional female soccer slash football athletes that there's a lot of noise around how these uh, elite international women soccer players, uh, I think for the U.S., I don't know, maybe I'm, I imagine there might be some other. The U.S. women's national team has gotten the most attention for this, for sure. And, and basically, they go very far every year and win more titles than the men do, yet they earn uh, a small fraction of what the men do. Not anymore. That's actually like they, they've come to an agreement where basically like they're now getting paid the same as the men. But my my so I think I think let me for anybody who's not familiar with this situation, because I think James and I are probably on the same page. James may have some newer data than I do. But generally women, if, if a man soccer player makes 10 million dollars over the course of a season, the woman may make 400, 400,000. And they're saying that that's not fair. The counter argument is that the attendance and the revenue made per game per player for the men's sports versus the women's sports is considerably higher. And actually, the men take home, although overall they make a greater dollar amount, they take home a lesser percentage of the gross revenue that their sport earns. Am, am, I, am I missing anything with that? No, that's basically the argument. Is so, so men male male athletes earn more money for the the owners and the organizations and the leagues because the leagues are higher rated so the ticket sales are higher the the TV contracts are higher so you can make more money off of men's sports because the public is more interested in men's sports and there's more money going into men's sports from the fans that's so, the argument yeah and how well, and, and that that would make sense um my, my question to you is, what are you saying has recently changed? Well, the, uh, the women's national team, I haven't read the, the full agreement, but basically they came up with some kind of revenue sharing thing where the women's national team players are going to be making about the same amount of money as the men's national team players. Is, is it percentage of revenue or is it final dollar amount? I don't remember, but they came to some kind of agreement that the women's players seem to be happy with. I'm glad they're happy. I hope that it makes logical, economical sense. Well, I mean, I can see something of a counter argument from the from the women's players saying, like, how come, like, when we win the World Cup and you guys make it out of the first round, you guys barely make it out of the first round and lose in, like, 
the, the, the second round of eliminations or something. How come you guys are paid more when our performance is measurably better? And oh, I think that's the, the issue is they're not getting paid based off their ability and their skill at a sport. They're getting paid based off the revenue that their viewership brings in. Well, and, and so comedian Bill Burr does about a five minute long bit about this where he talks about how like women are the ones who have, who have failed like the WNBA. If you look at like how much WNBA players make, it's not a lot. And if you look oh, at I, like not what you're saying is the women players of the WNBA. No, is the women viewership. There is no women yes, viewership. Yes. The, the WNBA is subsidized by the NBA. The NBA pays money to the WNBA every single year to keep the league running. And like, if you look at like the stadiums, it's unless you get to, until you get to the playoffs, there's very low attendance for regular season games. Ratings for WNBA games are low. And so Bill Burr's talking about like, it's not a man's job to watch women's sports. Like if women want women's sports, well, Women, you need to be going to the stadiums. You need to be going and watching these games on on TV, and you just aren't. And so it's not men's fault that women's sports are not more popular. We support our men's sports. You can support your women's sports. Like you got, you've got to pull, you've got to pick up your end of the couch, is what he says. (laughs) Well, that's that's uh, fair enough. all right, I think we I th- and we should move on outside of the sports, outside of the gender pay gap. Um, what do you want to hit first? We got a few well, points and a couple of articles. I was talking with uh, someone about this today. How, um, like, on the topic of marriage. Now, if I, uh, let me just ask you a question. Okay. Who do you think would want to get married more? A 25-year-old single woman who has never been married or a 25-year-old single man who has never been married? Who do you think would say, who do you think is going to more passionately state, I want to get married? Well, if you're in South Carolina, uh, I know the answer to that. But I think I know the overall answer. And I think it's my inclination that a 25-year-old woman would be much more inclined to want to be married as quickly as possible than a 25-year-old male. And I, I could shift around the ages and everything else, but I think the answer you're going to come up with is pretty much at any age range, the woman is going to want to get married more than the man wants to get married. Would you agree? I actually think there would be uh, a, uh, an increase for men maybe mid to late 30s and a decrease to women for, for women late 30s to early 40s moving forward so that that would be my guess i don't i don't think we have any data on this but that would be my guess now i I have to do some research on this because you might be right but i think like in general like women want to get married more than men do um and i think that i was talking about how i feel like society has like so like women are socialized to feel like if they are not married, they are somehow worth less than women who are married. That it's a life goal to get married. I, I think that when we're talking about traditional gender roles, that that's very much in line with what is societally accepted in this country and every other country. Yeah. And this is not me stating my personal opinions. It's me stating my observations on what I've seen from a lot of people. And it's, it's more prevalent in the South by far. Um, and I was thinking about how, like, that's not, that, that's not really positive. Because you, you like, for, for one, like, marriage isn't for everybody. But to make somebody feel like they're a failure if they don't achieve this thing that is, in my opinion, a, like, neutral. Like, marriage just is. It's a thing. But it's not positive or negative. It just is. I I think the issue and the drive for women has more to do with fertility because the years of fertility are, they drop off drastically uh, after a certain age, whereas men can procreate for decades and decades and decades beyond beyond that age. So, uh, you know, women do 
providing that is their goal, their ultimate goal is to get married, which I think there is also society on top of uh, on top of just biological clock ticking, but societal push as well. But but I, you know I think we're we're talking mostly about society, but I definitely think there's a biological aspect uh, that can't be ignored. Well, yeah, but there's also the whole like I, I would go along with marriage and say that like societal expectations of one of your life goals is to have kids. Okay. And uh, here, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Just one observation I want to add about 25 year old women and 25 year old men. Uh, if you are a 25 year old woman and you marry someone, you are a catch. If you are a, if you are marrying a 25 year old man, however, you have chosen very poorly. <laughs> so uh, just some perspective on, on the age situation. Well, and that's the, the thought that men tend to mature later. Correct. Correct. Which um, is not always the case. Like, did, you, did you want it? Not always the case. Did you want to take this marriage uh, poll uh, somewhere or just acknowledge it? Because we have a lot of data. There's a ton of graphs. Yeah, there, there's lots of pictures. Um, <laughs> I don't think what your the link that you shared me is to a search query, which brings us to a gazillion other options. So yeah, um, I mean, I was trying to tease out like how big of a difference there really is between men and women in terms of marriage, but I think I'd rather just talk about like is is the societal expectation for for marriage a good thing? I want to ask that question. Well, I think that you will find the data supports that the more uh, successful the country is, the higher the income rates, the greater the health, uh, the fewer people are getting married. And that starts with Japan, extends to Europe, and now the United States. So marriage is something that is disappearing as our society tends to improve and you would have economic data to support that. So, so you know, while it's still an expectation, we are very much traditionalists. I'm not knocking marriage in, in any way, but I will just say that later marriages or, and fewer marriages uh, tend to tend to run along the same line as economic development. That's all. Yeah. I, I feel a lot of people don't really understand why they want to get married. Um, I think, I think for the same reason, somebody who's 17 years old doesn't know why they want to go to college. They just feel that that's their duty to do so. Yeah. I'd agree with that analogy. And it's because they don't know any better because their environment is pushing them into that. Uh, which that's I, a really bad way of making decisions. Well, I think that's a really good segue into the traditional gender stereotypes, or maybe on our way to that, we stop at internalized misogyny or even socialization of gender behaviors. Go ahead. Well, um, now these are your topics, actually. So internalized misogyny which per the Google Wikipedia trend, uh, explanation is misogyny is the hatred of contempt for or prejudice against women and girls. Women who experience internalized misogyny may express it through minimizing the value of women, mistrusting women and believing gender bias in favor of men. So it's so, really thinking that men are better than women, it sounds like. Here's an example. Here, here's my favorite example of internalized misogyny. So, you know, the topic of slut shaming, right? Yes. So who, like, who is more, like, I, I think women slut shame other women more than men do. Like women, that, that's internalized misogyny is like a girl calling another girl a slut and, and, and shaming her for that women are much more critical of other women than men are of women for the same behavior. I, I would agree. Now I tried to pull, I tried to find a good article to support that, but there's a few articles that reference a couple of different studies that I couldn't extrapolate the data quickly enough for the podcast, but generally, 
And so, actually, you know what? I do want to touch on. Oh, seven, another one? Seven not so obvious signs of internalized misogyny. Here's another example is like women feeling the pressure to wear makeup and, and dress a certain way. Like, men don't care about that. Like, if I'm out on a date with you, as long as you don't look homeless, we're good. Like, oh. I'm not paying attention to the makeup that you're wearing. And as long as your outfit is, like, just at least reasonably normal, then, like, I don't really care about anything else. So like, I want to I hit these seven not-so-obvious signs of internalized misogyny. We can break them down. But one that you mentioned was slut-shaming. And I think, I think that we'll find some of this internalized misogyny is is not necessarily a bad thing. And I'm not saying that it's thinking men are better than women, but I'll give you an example when it comes to slut shaming. Generally, women who have a high, a greater number of sexual partners have lower self-esteem and, and men who have a high, greater number of sexual partners have a higher self-esteem. That, that was the data I was trying to extract. So that's a chicken or the egg question though. In, in what sense? Oh, oh, fair enough. I, I, I will I will buy that being is that having a greater number of sexual partners leading to the low self-esteem or is the low self-esteem leading to the greater number of sexual partners? One you more know, layer to throw on top of that is, is society telling men that they should feel pride in having a number of sexual partners or is society telling women that they f should feel shame for having a higher number of partners? So like. It, it, are the women feeling shame because they actually feel shame or are they feeling shame because society is trying to shame them? Okay. So I want to talk about uh, seven not so obvious signs of internal misogyny. Number one, I'm not like other girls, says the internalized voice of a woman. And it goes on to say differentiating yourself from other women as though they're a monolith is a major warning sign. Now, saying that I am different from others even of the same sex, I don't think is necessarily detrimental. I just think that's the underlying ego of self speaking. Well, I mean, I if you're not like, if, if, if you are like other girls, well, like, it's impossible. You can't not be different. <laughs> that's, that's my point. So remember I, you're, 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 you're different and unique, just like everyone else. Exactly. You do have to recognize that you have a greater number of similarities than you do differences yet. You are completely different than, than the others. Number two, feeling bad about your physical appearance or grooming. Uh, disparaging different parts of your physical appearance can be a major issue when it comes to internalized misogyny. Feeling bad about your body hair, despite knowing that it's a natural part of being an adult, is something that's instilled in people by the mass media and something that's still inherent. So, but I don't, but I think that most people will read that and say, oh, you're right. I shouldn't take care of myself to the degree that I do because it's detrimental for my mental health. Well, I mean, I'd say that there's like a basic hygiene threshold that everybody should meet. I, but I would take it well above the basic hygiene, walk out the door, don't smell bad. I would take it to the, you should be your best self at all times, unless you actually are doing harm to yourself. Like for example, uh, anorexia or, um, I don't know, tweezing out all your eyebrows or something. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds that. painful. Um, next one, comparing yourself to other women, which sounds a lot like uh, the first one. Well, it's the opposite of not like other girls. Uh, okay. Next is relying on gender stereotypes. So as a woman, I think this is written by women to women. Uh, if you find yourself using gendered stereotypes often in everyday conversation, even for humorous effect, it could be an issue. Of course, gender isn't binary, and many people don't identify as either men or women. However, I think the vast majority of people identify as men or women. There are some people that don't identify as men or women. I is feel like, yeah, the, the, the people that don't identify as men or women is pretty small. I think, I think if you expand that definition to be like, what, what aspects of masculinity or femininity do you identify with, you'll get a much bigger spread. Uh, and it says here are some examples of gender stereotypes. Pink is for girls, blue is for boys, girls play with dolls and other girly toys. Boys should play with cars and boy toys. Men are more aggressive and sexual than women. Girls are bad at math. Uh, women should stay in the kitchen, take care of children, while men should bring home the money. 
Women are more emotional, particularly during their period. Men are physically stronger than women uh, and other negative toxic masculinity traits. I think some of these are very true, though. Well, I, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you how many women I've talked to that have said, like, during my period, I get much more emotional. Like, this is not me saying you're being emotional. This is them saying during that time, I'm more emotional. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I think they're being true to themselves. Uh, number five, hiding parts of yourself. Many women feel the need to hide their intelligence so that they will be attractive to men. Um, next is... You know, that's weird to me because, like, I, I don't understand that inclination. And maybe that's because, like, if you're not intelligent, I don't find you attractive. Like, so, like, if you're dumb, I can, I, I've made the mistake of dating dumb people before. And, like, you can hide it for a little bit. But, like, eventually I realized, like, there's no substance to this conversation or anything else. Like, what am I doing here? So, like, pretending you're dumb to get the interest of a guy, I just don't get. Well, I think what, you, I think what you're missing is there are a lot of dumb men out there that aren't looking for a woman who can outsmart them or knows more than they do. So not most men are not like you or I, and and uh, that's that. So, I, yeah, it, it makes me think of a brief story. I was dating a girl that I I was realizing pretty quickly I just couldn't be with because like we were on different levels. But I've got a friend, uh, a guy friend, who is not quite as intelligent, and he came over and was talking to her and listened to their conversation. I was like, I'm dating the wrong person he should be with her. <laughs> like, what am I doing dating you? Like, he should be dating you. Uh, all right, last two, just so we can move on. Number six was slut shaming, which we discussed. And number seven was judging other women. Uh, there's so much conversation about anti-judging. Don't judge me. Uh, it's not right to judge. I think we all judge everybody else every moment of every time that we're around other people and the major majority of the time when we're not around other people. I don't think that that's something we can help ourselves from doing. I think it's perfectly normal and natural. You just need to contextualize things and remember that to the greater degree, everybody's equal and should be treated the same. Well, I don't think and also it's like judging them. Are you being fair in your judgments? Yeah. Well, I, I think, like, are you having realistic expectations? I think what you're saying is, is a better way to uh, verbalize and, and understand that. What I'm saying is the mechanism to getting there. To get oh, okay. You said. Um, let's see. Should we talk about? Uh, let's move on to socialization of gender behaviors, meaning uh, that gender stereotypes can be a result of gender socialization. Boys are expected to act in certain ways. Girls are expected to act in certain ways, and these are socialized from birth by their parents, their friends, their parents. Just exposure to media and in society. And so this is another one of those chicken or the egg. Is like, do these differences exist and society kind of moves, like molds itself around them? Or has society decided on things and starts molding the kids to fit its expectations? Well, I think, I think what's happening now is that there is a large mass that's saying, gender differences are very real you can't ignore it and a, a great and a growing mass of people not a greater probably a minority but a growing mass of loud people saying gender doesn't exist it's imposed by society and it's self-fulfilling there are gender roles that are socialized into existence and I think what we're finding is that there are a great deal of gender roles that are socialized into existence. But I feel like what, what both sides are failing to acknowledge amongst each other is that while many gender roles are socialized, uh, there are many gender roles that are just inherent with gender. Like, for example, size and strength. Yeah, but those aren't the ones that get as much attention. I don't but, think people really care so much about that one. Well, but when it comes to size and strength, for the greater uh, 
existence of humanity, men have been the protectors, right? And the hunters and women have been the ones that are tending to the family, keeping the family safe and uh, cooking the food, for example. Well, and part of that is because like, to be blunt, in primitive society, men are much more expendable. Uh, very true. Yeah, very true. Because uh, all you need is like one dude, and he can repopulate the entire village. That I was ju- I was literally just going to say that. Uh, whereas one woman could not repopulate an entire village over the course of a decade, if she is young enough, she might be able to provide. 11. <laughs> yeah, and she will be very tired. She'll be very tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I think, I think ignoring that aspect, that there are some gender rules that are inherent and some that I think very well could be built in for evolution, like the socialization of women. I don't know necessarily that women are more social or more gossipy, but I could imagine that if men are hiding in the bush and hiding in trees and hunting animals for millennia, their social skills may not be as in point. Whereas if you have women sitting in groups of other women and children in town and in the village, socializing amongst each other, their social skills may be more developed than men over the course of millennia. makes me think of a, a post I saw about like men and women communicating where, where a girl posts about like, you guys have no excuse for not communicating well in a relationship. I've seen how well you communicate while playing video games. And like, it seems perfectly fine for you guys to do it there. And the response was, that's because in a video game, the guy that I'm, the guy that I'm playing with is giving me very clear information. Like there's a sniper at mid, not I just died. Well, why were you there? Help me. Well, you should have known where I was, and like, it's no, no never mind. It's fine. <laughs> um, I, I, let, I don't know that everybody's going to be able to pick up on the example that you just gave, but it is, uh, it's crystal clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question is, what are your thoughts on so the socialization in social, the social impact of uh, on gender roles? I mean, it's really hard for me to tell which cause which, because I think if you if you dig deep enough, you are going to find that there's going to be some innate differences between the genders or between the sexes. Um, but what you'll find is that, like, again, looking at like normal distribution curves, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got your bell curve. And so if you look at, if you were to take like a bell curve of, various traits of personality between men and women so you could talk about like if you could somehow measure nurturing right Mm -hmm. you would probably you would find that like women would be that if you were and you were to take the bell curves like you'd have one bell curve here and one bell curve here like you'd find that there's a lot of overlap but the women would be shifted towards like more towards the nurturing side than men are but let me ask you this let me ask you this if we merged the, the nurturing graphs, okay, and the and the and and created one bell curve of the ninety five of the of the five percent. What is bell curve? Two and a half on uh, at extremes at both ends. So one standard deviation is what two point five. No, uh, it's it goes sixty seven percent. 95%, 99.5% okay. for each standard so, deviation. So okay. like 68, 95, 99. Okay, so you take that 95th percentile and then you have 2.5% on one end and 2.5% on the other end. I'll bet 97.5% on the other end. Or No, 2.5%. Uh, I'm saying of the nurturing scale of both sexes, the yeah. most nurturing, 2.5% are virtually all female. And the, mm-hmm. the least nurturing... Two and a half oh. are virtually okay, I all men. I understand what you're saying. If you look at the extreme ends, like if you take the 5% on one end and the 5% on the other, you'll find that at the tails of this bell curve, like the most extreme is going to be populated mostly by women on one end, almost exclusively, and mostly by men, almost exclusively on the other. I think you could extrapolate that to so many other things, uh, whether, you know, whether it goes to gossip or crime or aggression or... Mm-hmm. 
rape or uh, give me something else. Um, I don't know, but like, so, like agreeableness. It, like, yeah. So what you're going to find is that like the, that you're going to find tremendous overlap between the graphs, but you're going to find the differences at the tails where the men are going to be lumped in, in one side of the tail and the women are going to be lumped in the other side of the tail for the outliers. But the vast majority of men and women are going to be more similar than they are not in a lot of these categories. And so I think that, that the, the problem is that socialization and societal expectations are going to make men and women think they are more different than they actually are. If you measure characteristics, you're going to find that there's a tremendous amount of overlap. If you ask men and women, how much overlap do you think there is? They're going to answer in a way that is completely wrong compared to the hard data. Yeah. And the issue I think we're running into now is just creating logical conversation around the differences between the genders, because what you just said is our perception of the differences is very skewed. We are much more alike. Um, yeah. So having a conversation about the differences, we're talking about either the extremes or the very nuanced of the vast majority. Yeah. So, and, and that's the issue is creating a conversation around gender differences. Uh, when it comes to uh, trans athletes and things like that, I think the vast majority of people... Um, well, actually, I think most people's minds are made up on, on trans athletes, uh, but I do think that we need to account for them in athletics. What are your thoughts on, on trans athletes and, and how we need to do an entire cast on that? Because I think that's it. I think when it comes to trans people, I think most of the issues regarding trans people are very simple, which is just leave them alone, man. They like, just let them be They're Like, they're doing what makes them happy, and they're not affecting you whatsoever. And I think that when it comes to trans athletes participating, and I'm only talking about at the highest level of sport, because that's really where like, I think that's the only thing that bears discussion. Because if you want to talk about like trans kids competing in high school sports, I don't know if you've watched high school sports, but the vast majority of people that are playing high school sports suck at that sport. <laughs> I'm not saying that there aren't talented high school athletes. I'm saying the vast majority of high school athletes are not very good. So if you have a trans kid playing in a high school athletics, chances are they're not very good, whether they're playing on a men's or a women's team. Now, at the absolute pinnacle of performance, if you're talking like Olympics or professional level or something, that conversation gets really complicated. And I actually don't have a firm opinion on it because I can see arguments on either side and it's really hard to reconcile them. So I don't want to weigh in on that one. But I think like when it comes to amateur athletes that where you're just playing because you enjoy the sport and you're not expecting, like you're not winning any trophies and you're not competing for any money, then just let, let the, let the, let the kids play, man. Who cares? When it comes to high level competition, smarter people than me have done a lot of thinking about it and have gotten to the same conclusion that I have, which is. It's yeah. I, I... Just off the top of my head, uh, testosterone testing is is like the kind of the best logical solution, and that's not well. Not that, that doesn't even work though, because there was a South African runner, Castor Semenya, so ran as a female, was born a female, but had an intersex condition where basically the genitals appear female, but instead of ovaries, she had testicles. Never went through, like, didn't have gender reaffirming surgery or anything like that. She was born this way, right? So has a vagina, but also has testicles. Don't ask me how it's possible. I'm not a doctor. And so the question was whether it was fair for her to be competing against other women because she was winning a lot. But it's not like she did anything to change who she was. That's just how she was born. Yeah. And the, like, it's because if you look at, like, a lot of ways that people will like especially men will try and cheat in endurance sports or whatever like one of the 
most common ways is taking things that will increase testosterone because it increases muscle mass and bone density and all, all these other things that are just intrinsically helpful for performing at high level in sports. So like having more testosterone gives you an advantage. That's pretty much indisputable. But as soon as you start t- talking about like testing for testosterone in women's sports or whatever, well, <coughs> you could have someone that's born a woman that has a naturally high level of his testosterone that's way above the baseline for like a normal woman. But do you prevent her from being able to to participate in the sports? Like assuming she's not doing like like performance enhancing drugs or whatever. I didn't think we were going to break it down. We could we could stop here. But I think that's the exact reason why it it just doesn't play out very well. The the testosterone testing like it's a good logical theory, but it doesn't play out very well because it, it just still doesn't stack up. Obviously, the best athletes are going to be born with specific advantages or mm-hmm. have inherent advantages. You're not going to take you're not going to take somebody who's who's 4 foot 8 and they're going to become the world's fastest sprinter because they practice the hardest, right? There is something that they were born with that yeah. makes it better. When it comes to becoming an elite athlete, you need a mix of two things. One is you need to have good genetics, which you can't control. And the other is that you have to work on this your entire life. Yeah. yeah well, up until you're 36 and then you're... Right. But at whatever <laughs> to whatever age you are today, if you haven't been working on this one thing your entire life, yeah. chances are pretty good you're not going to be elite at it. It's, it's not happening. Let's talk about toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity sounds... I, I look at this as the other side of the coin to internalize misogyny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, I like that idea. Let me close some of this stuff out. I'll open up the link that we have here. Do you want to read the WebMD definition of toxic masculinity? It's an attitude or set of social guidelines stereotypically associated with manliness that often have a negative impact on men, women, and society in general. Term toxic masculinity isn't meant to imply the idea of masculinity is in itself inherently bad. It's more a certain subset of traits that are, I guess, just like expected of men that can be harmful. So I had the article up and I closed it. And I have hit my quota, and now I hit the paywall for the New York Times. <laughs> uh, did you want, or would you be able to pull up that article and um, and hit the bullet points if you have not hit your paywall for the New York Times? There's a way around it, but uh, oh yeah, here we go. Um, let's see if I can do this. Well, while you're pulling that up, I must ask, what are you drinking? Um, bush ice. Bush ice. All right. I had a nice, uh, this Kentucky bourbon barrel ale, which is an ale that was uh, aged in a bourbon barrel, or, or they did some part of the process of making the ale in a bourbon barrel. And I had the Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Oof. That, Ardbeg is a tough scotch to drink straight. And, well, the Wee Beastie is, uh, is a very young Ardbeg. Uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty beastie. All right. So I've got the New York Times article. What did you want me to talk about from it? Just a couple of bullet points I had. If you look at some of the just. Uh... All right. Here we go. Like, actually, the, the, the article does a nice job summing this up right yeah. here. It says, in other words, toxic masculinity is what can come of teaching boys that they can't express emotion openly, that they have to be tough all the time, that anything other than that makes them feminine or weak. And that was from some author. Who, who, who's it written by? Maya Salam. Okay. So basically teaching men that they have to be strong. And I don't necessarily think that's all a bad thing. I do think there are negatives. But I think what we're finding, and you've heard me say this before, I think on this podcast, but I've definitely said it before on, on other social media platforms, that uh, tough times create tough men. Tough men create easy times. Easy times create soft men. Soft men create tough times. And the cycle continues. So what? where I feel like we are now is 
we have soft men creating rough times. And I believe that we have soft men because we're giving second, third, fourth, eighth place trophies, and we're telling boys they can cry, and we are downplaying the importance of being strong and having strong character. When was the last time you heard someone talking about character or virtue or uh, give me give me some other upstanding uh, quality that that may be more in some cases masculine? You know, I think you, character and virtue is is neutral. Gender, gender neutral, I would say. But um, what's the word that I'm looking at? Stoic stoicism. Uh, I think my I think my issue is I do think there's a lot of value in stoicism. And I think that telling that eliminating the idea that, that anybody should be strong, uh, gender aside, is is not is not greater. For I the think government. the issue is more along the lines of like trying to be strong, or like I I also see stoicism as a virtue, but like I think the idea is especially for someone who is developing. You've got a boy or a young adult that is developing and them trying to be strong or them trying to be stoic and then not being able to achieve that. Or maybe maybe their version of strength is different than our version of strength. And maybe they want to express their emotion more and being forced to hold everything in is either hurting them or they're not capable of doing it. And because you're saying that this is a virtue that's important to me, stoicism, and you're not being stoic, therefore you're a failure. And that's the toxic part of it, is that we're setting these standards. I would think that would be bad parenting to tell your child that in a particular instance they are a failure. This is not about parenting, though. Like, parenting plays into it, but I'm saying that, like, on a societal level, and this is where, like, the toxic masculinity comes in, is, like, is... That these are the expectations of men. And if you deviate from them by more than some amount, you are a failure as a man. And you don't get to be a real man because you didn't exemplify these characteristics that we have set out. And that's where the toxic part is. is You can feel like a failure for being yourself. Of course, the concept of real man needs to exist to... To, for this theory to work out. And that concept of the real man is effectively what we're defining as toxic. And no, it's like you can have all of these traits, but there has to be exceptions to the rule, man. Like, and what work, what works for you might not work for somebody else. I wish I had this article in front of me. Uh. <laughs> um, hold on, let me give you. Did I close it? No, I did. Don't didn't. close it. close it because no, I no, no, no. I've got a workaround for this. I'm all right, all right. Well, let me let me know what what else you have in terms of the toxic masculinity. New York Times article. Yeah, uh, let me send you. Let me give here. Here's a link that will work for you. All right. So uh, the other thing is, I don't know if you heard of this book, but it's called "In 50 Years We'll All Be Chicks," um, and it it just it it kind of extrapolates the, the differences between how men and women speak and how society is pushing, not speak, think. How, the differences between how men and women think and how society is pushing everyone to think and behave like women. Mm. Did that link work? Uh, it brought me to another link. Yeah. We gotta click on some other things. And I don't, uh, what is toxic masculinity? Uh, okay. So there was an article, uh, there was commentary on Gillette releasing a, we believe the best men can be campaign. Um, where, whereas they acknowledged all of these gender discrepancies and, uh, aggressive masculinity and, and uh, sexual, uh, just just general male badness. And some people kind of hailed this, this, this video, this commercial, but there was a lot of pushback uh, on it as well. 
I'll see. Right, we got one minute. We probably need to wrap. I guess we can't play it. All right. Well, on that note, let me close out of it. I'm not getting, not getting any further. I'm digging into that. Uh, on that note, I think we did a decent job covering the different aspects of the topic of gender. I feel like we probably could have gone a lot deeper on any of these, some of these things. What, what am I missing here? Probably need to do another episode where we do a deeper dive. I kind of want to, I think this American survey center.org link about um, comparing people's opinions on dating and looking at how like men and women view dating differently and how like different education levels and race and everything affect people's views of dating. There is so much there that we could talk about that. All right. We're out of time. We'll do that in a future episode. James, stay on. Yep. Adios. All right. This is the end of the episode. How do we do? Let me know in the comments. I am curious. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.